Welcome to the Dig In Travel Podcast, where travel and other digital professionals level up their marketing skills by listening to the top industry experts. And now, here's your host, Istok Franco, founder of DigInTravel.com, your number one resource for travel, digital, e-commerce, and marketing. Hi, everybody. This is Istok, and you're listening to episode 26 of the Dig In Travel Podcast. Today, you can listen to my chat with Henry Hertelot, an airline consultant and researcher from Atmosphere Research Group. Henry is a longtime friend and supporter of this podcast, and he just published a research called Airlines A Path Back to Profitability. This research has a lot of great insights about the state of the airline industry, about the outlook for the recovery, how airlines adapted to the pandemic, how and where are airlines investing, and how all this relates to airline digital retail. You can find the link to his research in our website article. Link to the article is in our show notes of this podcast. Henry talked a lot about how airlines are adapting, so how we as an industry embraced innovation and how the role of airline professionals is changing. We also talked a lot about new digital skills and learning. So for all airline digital pros that want to see what will happen in the future, I really recommend to listen to Henry's insights, what he found out in his research. As always, Henry provided tons of great insights. Before we start our uh, our chat, one other thing I would like you to know. We are closing the registration for our next batch of the Airline Digital Academy that will start on May 10th. We have last few seats left, so if you want to learn about modern airline digital and e-commerce with the best mentors and work on airline industry cases and data, please reach out to me personally or check our academy page on digintrail.com academy. It would be a pleasure for me personally, really, to work and learn with you in our academy community. Now, let's jump into my chat with Henry. Isak, hello. It's, it's really good to be back. Thanks for inviting me. It's been a while, almost a year since we last talked, so I'm really excited to talk to you again. Before we jump into the myths about what you want, uh, I want to talk to you about, so your new research and report, tell me one thing. You told me you're done your uh, vaccination recently and that you are fully ready to travel, right? That's right. I am. I received uh, my second dose, uh, the second vaccine, uh, about a week and a half ago, a week and a half before we're recording this podcast. Uh, I'll be ready to travel as of the 20th of April. And in fact, I actually uh, have a trip planned to visit some family. Uh, uh, right away and another trip planned to visit a friend uh, uh, who is living right now in Florida. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, as, as soon as borders reopen, I'm comfortable traveling. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to do uh, everything I can to travel responsibly. So wearing masks, keeping distance, all of that. But I'm really looking forward to the opportunity to get back out into the broader world again. No, yeah, I see a lot of optimism and excitement in from my friends in the States. I think 
you compared to us in Europe, you're more ahead with the with the vaccination. So I think uh, we see more excited. At least I do. I don't know how how you uh, how you see it. Yeah. No. Look, there is a a travel surge uh, occurring here, which is a good kind of a surge. Um, uh, and uh, American Airlines has stated that its reservation volume is approximately 90% of uh, pre-COVID levels, 2019 levels. And that's without the benefit of uh, much business travel taking place and without much long-haul travel taking place. So that's very impressive. Now, of course, uh, volume doesn't equate to profitability, as we know in the airline business. Mm -hmm, uh, you can have full planes, full airports, and still not make money. Uh, but I was talking with this uh, chief innovation officer at the Cincinnati uh, airport um, earlier today, the day that we're recording this podcast. He said that they are just a few thousand passengers below their uh, pre-COVID normal level of passenger boardings that uh, they are seeing uh, enough demand uh, return. They've begun reopening concessions that the parking garages uh, are not only full, but they've had to reactivate some of the garages that they temporarily shuttered during COVID. So there are all these positive signs that are emerging, at least here in the US, about consumers' willingness and comfort with travel. But I think we have to acknowledge that the recovery is going to be uneven. It is going to take a long time. And there are factors that the industry is going to have to manage, uh, not just the virus itself, of course, and its uncertainty, but borders reopening, policies. Will people have to be tested before they travel, when they arrive? Will there be quarantines or not? Will they have to be tested before they return home? Will there be exemptions for people who are fully vaccinated? You know, if people are tested, who pays for that test? How is it paid? You know, would will this be something that the passenger pays in a separate charge? Could it be incorporated into the ticket? And I saw an article, uh, an interview uh, from Travel Weekly in the UK, <coughs> excuse me, where the CEO of EasyJet said that right now uh, COVID tests are simply too expensive for many leisure travelers to be able to afford. And I believe that it costs approximately 60 pounds per person per test. Yeah. Um, maybe it's more expensive. Yeah. For a family of four, that's 240 pounds that they have to pay. I see here, for example, my case, when I want to travel cross border, just cross border, not necessarily uh, flights. I have a house in Croatia, which is a border country. And up till now, we we had to have a PCR test, which is very expensive. Right. But now recently they changed it to this rapid test, which is much more affordable and it's also much more convenient to do. So I'm also curious to see, especially here in Europe, will this change as we co come closer to the summer season with some of the these requirements, for example, with rapid testing be uh, acceptable on some type uh, some types of travel, for example. Yeah, we we have to find a compromise. The compromise has to be. A, a rapid test that is reliable and is affordable. And I appreciate the fact, especially since I'm not a scientist, that finding that intersection is not an easy one. Uh, but I think that, that uh, uh, it's essential because we know travel is a key part of many countries' GDP. Um, you know, and, and we know that 
that the summer tourism season is a major, major source of, of revenue. It drives employment. Um, uh, it's critical. Uh, for some uh, uh, countries, it can account for 20 to 40%, I think, of even GDP. Yeah. Um, and summer, or I should say summer, can account for 20 to 40%, maybe even more, of the tourism revenue that they normally take in. So it's really important for the industry to find a way to work with, whether it's government or uh, other uh, organizations that are part of the, the ecosystem and partners to airlines and airports so that this can work better. True. And I think we'll need to find better solutions soon. And I hope we do, because like you said, a lot of things, especially for our industry, uh, is on the line. Now, I would like to touch a little bit about the report, the recent research that you did. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's called, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Airlines, a Pet Beth to Profitability, which I read. Uh, and it's a great report. And I'll share the link to it uh, to all our listeners and our Digging Trail readers. And I advise everybody to check it. Um, so before we go into more, let's say, details, what was the... What is the background? Can you just explain a little bit how you started, why you did it? Uh, just some b briefly, maybe uh, the background about uh, about your research. And, sure. Uh, the whole so, so, so the idea for the research came from Acelia. Acelia purchased okay. Fairlogics in 2020, or uh, uh, and and or maybe it was 2019. Things blur, but. Um, uh, as, as part of the integration of Fairlogics into Acelia, Acelia created what they call the Air Transformation Lab. It's their innovation hub for airline commerce and retailing. And uh, Acelia approached Atmosphere Research, my company, about doing some research for them uh, to understand the uh, where where the airline industry was in terms of uh, looking at commerce and retailing as we are uh, hopefully about to enter or are entering business recovery. COVID obviously was financially devastating. It was devastating on a human toll. But there is nothing like this COVID-19 crisis that the airline industry has experienced before uh, outside of wartime. Even 9-11 wasn't as bad. Uh, even the 2008-2010 financial recession wasn't as bad to the industry as COVID was. Um, and so Acelia wanted to know, where were, you know what were airlines thinking? What were their needs? What were their concerns? How were they approaching commerce and retailing? Was innovation something that they were thinking about or not? And so they approached us to do the report for them. Um, and it, it, you know, is a very thoroughly researched uh, document. We, there were uh, uh, 62 airline executives uh, participated in an online 48 question survey that we created. Uh, and we conducted uh, 10 uh, telephone interviews with airline executives on a one-to-one -one basis. I should add, all the research was conducted anonymously and confidentially. So the people who participated online did not provide any details about where they worked uh, uh, other than if the type of airline, such as a global airline or an LCC, mm -hmm. where their airline was headquartered, some high-level information like that. We didn't track the IP addresses uh, 
from uh, of the devices that they used to take the survey. The telephone research uh, uh, was conducted also anonymously, as Celia has no idea who participated. In addition, we leveraged some of the other research that we've conducted along the way, including our consumer research. Uh, we uh, uh, have been conducting research during COVID in 12 countries, and we agreed to use the US, UK, Brazil, and South Korea uh, as examples of different parts of the world uh, and major economies. Um, and uh, then there was some other desk research that we conducted. Uh, I think there are something like 40 or so endnotes in this thing. I mean, it's like a you know an old term paper we would have done in university um, uh, with uh, all the sources identified for okay. uh, anything that was not our own original research. Great. One thing, maybe before we go into the results, uh, I do also this, let's say, e-commerce airline benchmarks, things like that, right. research. And when I look at them or when I start analyzing the results, it's like when you do this for a while, you expect most of the things. So you say, okay, this falls along here, here, here. But then sometimes something is like, whoa, what is this? So was there something that really surprised you when you when you started looking at uh, analyzing the results? Yeah, yeah. So you're talking about what I call the lightning bolts moments. The 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 thing the moments where you're reading through the research results and you're going, oh wow, aha, I didn't expect to see that. And as a researcher, that's a really fun thing. So. Uh, for example, uh, one of the aha moments, 96% of the people we surveyed said that this was an opportunity for collaboration and innovation, uh, that they knew they needed to make changes for their organizations to uh, prosper. 79% of the excuse me, participants said that COVID was the most challenging uh, time in their professional careers. There's a thirst, uh, 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 a desire for innovation, which I wasn't sure where we would see because we're not an industry that actually always welcomes innovation. Uh, um, you know, there, were, there was more acceptance of NDC uh, than I thought, but there was also some interesting differences, for example, between network airlines, which were unsurprisingly more engaged with NDC than low cost and ultra low cost airlines, which were not. Uh, the thirst for innovation varied, and uh, uh, you know it was it was just very interesting to to see all of all of this. One thing when you said when you compare the low cost airlines and traditional or network airlines, I think one thing that put a light bulb to me, and I was curious about. I think when you ask people uh, how will COVID change the way they do business, I think that. 86% of low-cost airlines said that it will fundamentally ch change how they do business, but this share was only 53 for traditional and network areas. Why is, why is this gap? Because I would thought it's the other way around, that low-cost mo model, it's like what we see out there that is the one that uh, will maybe adapt uh, more easily to the challenges. So I would expect more change with the traditional uh, and uh, network areas. See, I, I was not surprised about this. Um, the low-cost airlines and ultra-low-cost airlines tend to be, especially in Europe and Asia, newer carriers, um, but they're all about disruption. Uh, they, innovation and disruption are core to what they do as businesses. And so 
I was not surprised that they were more open to change and to innovation uh, because I think they see this crisis as an opportunity to accelerate some of the disruption, whether that's internally challenging the way they do business, looking for opportunities to streamline and become more efficient, looking for ways to improve how they retail, um, uh, or externally using the uh, their, their heavy retail focus to further uh, disrupt the way they sell to the public, um, improve their digital experiences, uh, create new products for customers, rethink the way they go to market, and so on. The, the network airlines are also not only older, but they're larger organizations. And while uh, every single airline that we interviewed has said that they are doing far more collaboration, they are far less bureaucratic, they are far more uh, uh, willingness, willing, excuse me, to, to change, far more customer focused and far more action and result focused than they were. It's still more difficult for an airline that has 200 or 300 or 400 aircraft uh, and, and hundreds of perhaps software systems and applications to make changes compared to an airline that may have 150 or so aircraft and maybe 150 software systems, um, maybe a much smaller management organization. No, that makes sense. To me, I see the, the logic behind why it's more difficult to change but not the logic completely be behind the motivation of why we need to change. So I think there's an understanding is talk that there is a need to change. There is a motivation to change. There is a motivation to innovate. No one, no one we spoke with mm -hmm. uh, and really in the research itself said, I'm fine with the status quo. I want everything to go back to the way it was before normal. The only thing we want from the way it was before COVID is the strong volume of passengers uh, and, and the healthy levels of profitability. Yeah. Um, what I thought found really, really encouraging is the fact that so many people said organizational silos have been knocked down and we want to make sure that they don't get rebuilt. We don't want the calcification, the old ways of doing business to creep back in um, we want to keep things uh, nimble, agile. Uh, uh, we don't want the bureaucracy. We like the fact, <laughs> as one person said, it's nice when the inmates are running the asylum. So, <laughs> so you know, I'm, I'm hopeful that we will keep this entrepreneurial or intrapreneurial spirits that have emerged going as business recovery returns. Doug Parker the CEO of American Airlines said last year in an interview that the management organization of American was approximately 30% smaller at the time than it had been pre-COVID. And he said he didn't want to see the management ranks swell back up. And that wasn't anything about the individuals that were involved. It was about nimbleness and improving decision-making and, and being more market-focused. My hope is that all airlines will continue to be as 
nimble and as collaborative as they have been. No, no, I hope as well. And I see, I think this, let's say, like you said, more agile, more or less uh, flat hierarchies, less silos, will meet faster projects, faster decision-making and faster change. So here I agree completely. We talked a lot about airline change and how and why and airlines are changing. But if I, when I read your report, I think it comes or this is tied up to, uh, and you mentioned this in your report, about a change passenger. Yeah. Uh, who is this change passenger and how does <laughs> he look like or she? So, so the change passenger is, 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 it's not that they're going to look dramatically different. I mean, we're people, right? Uh, it's not <laughs> like we're going to see aliens from Mars getting on the airplanes yet. Um, uh, what I think we're referring to is, yes, there will be a different audience. Near term, we're going to see fewer business people traveling than we once did. I think over time, business travel does recover. We believe, by the way, at Atmosphere, that the recovery will take at least three years in terms of business travel. It may take a little bit longer. Again, we have to acknowledge the fact that COVID recovery is uneven, and it's a function of vaccine availability, willingness to be vaccinated, border reopening, all of these things that we talked about. I'm hoping that three to four years from now, we are back at, at a healthier level of business travel. But I'm not sure if we get back to 100% of pre-COVID levels. We've been saying all along, we think it's at least 10% less. It may be as much as 20% below pre-COVID levels of business travelers. You know, Now, Bill Gates, who is certainly no dummy, has said he thinks 50% of, of business travel goes away. I think this is the only time where I may know more about something than Mr. Gates. <laughs> uh, uh, but, you know, I, I certainly don't think that we go back to 100% very soon. I think we will get back to pre-levels of COVID business travel, but it's going to take a while. I think we've learned that we are human, we are social, we need to do things as good as remote is, as efficient as remote work is, there are going to be certain things that need to be face-to-face. -face, and that's especially externally focused travel that's associated with revenue or production or field work. Um, internal travel is more likely, internal staff travel is more likely to uh, have a slower recovery. That means that this changed passenger is going to be more leisure focused. And look, the leisure passenger travels less frequently, is less likely to be engaged with loyalty schemes, is less likely to carry co-branded airline credit cards if they exist, may want and expect different things in terms of what they buy, what they value, may want to pay us in different ways, may prefer to shop through different channels. Um, so we've already seen the industry pivot to meet them. We heard repeatedly from airlines that flexibility-focused fares or products were more popular because COVID created this uncertain landscape and we had to be more opportunistic as travelers. We were booking closer in and if COVID of, you know, uh, surged or borders changed or you know, lockdowns occurred, people wanted to get their money back. Um, governments in some cases, dictated what airline boarding procedures mm -hmm. could be. So we couldn't sell priority boarding, but people were more willing to pay for, say, seats that offered extra legroom 
because it afforded them the comfort, the psychological comfort of extra physical distancing, as well as the tangible physical comfort of more legroom. Um, so, you know, we're responding to different things. We're going to see, you know, we're seeing younger people traveling. We've seen a lot more first time travelers taking to the skies during COVID. Is that you and I are experienced travelers. Um, we've got the model planes on our in our offices. We've worked for airlines. You know, I'm I'm you know one of those kids who grew up, uh, you know, collecting the airline timetables and all of that. Uh, to me, getting on an airplane is second nature. But I think it's important for us all to remember, especially in developing countries, that there's still a lot of people who are first time travelers, and the inexpensive airfares that airlines offered brought a lot of people onto the planes, which is great as long as, of course, they were traveling yeah. responsibly. And I think that's the type of change we see. But one thing, yeah, when it comes to change, maybe this is interesting to me because, yeah, there are like new demographics that are like you said, first time travelers. And what I see, we see a huge shift during the pandemic is on the other side, a similar huge shift is towards the, let's say, first time digital users, first time digital people. And here maybe the trend is the other way around. So we see older people who did some scenarios for the first time, like digital retailing, shopping online, uh, I don't know, ordering food, uh, picking up food. So I think when these two worlds mesh, so different travel geographic and different digital audiences, then we need to see how it reflects our airline model and maybe how airlines can take opportunity of that. You're very right. So some of the changes we've seen, airlines have uh, uh, airlines that use third-party distribution said that they've seen a lot more people buying directly, that some of the problems that people may have experienced with uh, refunds or credits if they book through third parties uh, uh, shifted their preference, changed their opinions of using a third party, uh, at least during COVID, so they were booking directly. But you're absolutely right. Estimates from various consultancies and government organizations have shown a massive acceleration in digital commerce adoption across all, almost all age groups uh, uh, and income levels. Now, there's still a digital divide in many countries, including, by the way, a very big digital divide here in the United States. But we have accelerated by two to three years here just in the U.S., Uh, consumer engagement with, with digital shopping. Now, airlines in our research were already scored fairly low, uh, middle to low in terms of where consumers found airline sites compared to other types of retail sites, banking, insurance, uh, 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 supermarket, and other day-to-day -day, you know, or other consumer service businesses. And we have to remember something as we record this in the middle of April of 2021. A lot of us have spent the past uh, 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 12 to 14 or 15 months doing so much more online. Our banking is accelerated online. We are buying everyday goods online, uh, uh, whether we are having those delivered or picking them up at a store. We are ordering our groceries online. We are ordering food for takeup 
uh, for pickup or delivery online. Um, there are new businesses that have sprouted during the recovery uh, or during COVID uh, to serve us as digital consumers. So the consumer who comes to your website as an airline uh, has really exercised their digital muscles during this uh, COVID crisis. And they're going to be comparing you. Which means you higher like expectations, yeah. Right. Their expectations have been further elevated and accelerated. And they're going to look at your shopping, uh, your, your planning, your shopping, your checkout, your payment experiences, your merchandising, the way you present information, the way you present optional products, the way you engage with them post-purchase, to the extent you do, by the way, as an airline engage with them post-purchase, the way you handle check-in and all of that through very different, far more sophisticated digital consumer lenses. They have experienced all kinds of digital customer experiences uh, outside of the airline business, and they will be carrying the good and the bad over to us. Um, there are ways, I think, to our credit as an industry, we have stepped up. We have seen airlines and airports introduce biometric-based uh, baggage checking, biometric-based kiosks, biometric-based uh, flight boarding. Mm -hmm. um, we are doing far more around contactless and touchless uh, interactions uh, at airports, on the aircraft. Um, airports are supporting this at the retail shops and restaurants as well. So it's not that we're doing nothing. The question is, are we doing enough in the areas that really matter? And are we at least starting the process of investing and implementation uh, uh, so that we are going to be able to serve these more digitally savvy uh, customers? And remember, um, uh, especially if you are serving uh, millennial and Gen Z customers, they are far more digitally engaged, far more digitally sophisticated. But what kind of customer support are you offering? Do you have chat? Are you investing in, you know, uh, uh, services like that, functionality like that, to assist people with uh, whether help whether it's reservations? I give credit to United Airlines for their no new mobile. Uh, platform where consumers can reach out to an agent through the United mobile app uh, for assistance, which cuts down on the need to wait in line, uh, uh, cuts down on the need for human uh, uh, in-person interaction. Not that we don't want to talk to another person face-to-face, -face, but given health safety, it supports uh, 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 the ability to get help without uh, putting anybody at risk. And frankly, from United's standpoint, it's far more efficient because they will ultimately have to be able to staff their airports with fewer people over time um, uh, and uh, or at least potentially redeploy people from one role to another where maybe it, it is creating greater value for the customer and the airline. This is true. And like you said, I think that there will be higher expectation and there is uh, still gr ground to cover, although I think the focus is the right. It's there. And when you talk about retailing, you talk in your report about a lot of stuff, about platforms, technology, all these kind of things, systems. But maybe because I am involved in our, let's say, digital academy, where we talk about skills, about digital skills, things like that, I'm more interested in the, let's say, people and skills gap. Yes. And you 
tell this in also in your report that basically something that we are preaching also here is that airlines will need to do more with less basically, which means that we will on the people front will need maybe less but more skilled people or people that have more broad uh, skill sets. What did you hear on this front when you talked to people or when you did your research? We, you know, again, your your points are spot on. You know, people are being forced to learn new skills. You know, when you have a smaller management organization, when you have had to say goodbye to many of your talented colleagues through no fault of their own, simply the need for airlines to shrink uh, uh, their their employment in order to financially survive. We are all having to do new things. We are all having to learn new skills. What's been encouraging is there's been a willingness to do this. I haven't heard anybody say, oh, it's not my job. I think we recognize that one, it's necessary to ensure the survival of our companies. Two, it's necessary to ensure the survival of our own uh, uh, jobs. And But three, it's good for our own professional careers. We're being introduced to new uh, skills, new tasks that will make us better at what we do, that will uh, allow us to be better uh, managers and leaders going forward. And frankly, for some, they're looking at this saying, you know, this is going to give me access to some capabilities that will make me more employable if I ever decide it's time for me to look for a new job. No, uh, exact- and that can't be underestimated. Not that anybody should leave an airline. It's the greatest thing in the world. But, but you know, when, when the retailing people, the people who go to dig in a you know, travel academy, the, the people who are heavily engaged in commerce are already enormously skilled. What's great is we're being given the opportunity to become even more skilled and to become stronger and more adept in different ways. It challenges us professionally. You know, it's good. We're learning. No, no, true. To me, I just had this experience. It was a funny story because I talked to a digital product person and one low cost airline and we were talking about the academy and why they want to learn and how good it is and, and all these things. And then a week later, I had the same chat with her colleague, which is, and she's a head of a big revenue management department. And I said, okay, so how come that you're interested in all these digital skills? And I said, no, look, I look, I talked to my digital colleague and these are the skills that I want to have. You know, I want to learn about UX, about digital, because if we go back to what you said initially, the organizations, the silos are breaking. So, Revenue management, pricing, product people, they want to see how their price is displayed on the front end, in the storefront. How does it impact? And on the other hand, it's not only digital and UX, because we also talk a lot about data, about advanced data, data science and things like that. And she said, look, now we have a data scientist who is taking care in our department, in our revenue department. But I want to understand how is machine learning, how is AI used from a business perspective, what kind of problems I can solve. So to me, I really saw this and I was really positively surprised. I said, look, to me, even when it comes to digital, when I talk to people, you can learn anything. It's 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 more about this curiosity that you said. If you have the curiosity, then you will learn. And this is maybe uh, 
I think this is the good part of the crisis is that it was disruption in all people's life because we don't go to office, we learn differently, uh, we interact differently. So I think people are now more willing to learn this new stuff. Well, I think you, you also just mentioned something really important. Uh, actually, several things that are really important. First, <laughs> By accident. <laughs> no, 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 not, no, no. So first, the, the thirst for us to learn about what our colleagues do. We've probably always had it. We've never had the opportunity or the necessity. Second, we've already, let's acknowledge this. We've already been on engaged in digital commerce now for more than 25 years, 26 years, I think. Uh, Alaska Airlines was the first airline to do a digital, uh, uh, have a transactional website. That was 1995. So 26 years ago, and we've been engaged in, in a steady state of digital evolution and transformation as an industry. So, so, you know, COVID came along uh, and certainly forced a lot more change, but let's not ignore the change that was occurring. We've been evolving and uh, uh, morphing into a more retail-based industry for more than 10 years. So we're, we're now accelerating some of the changes, some of the transformation that took place. But uh, when you have a crisis, when your demand falls by 96%, when you are losing as an industry 70 years of progress in terms of the number of people who are flying almost overnight, and when you are giving credits and refunds uh, worth hundreds of billions of dollars collectively as an industry, you know you've got to sit there and say, we've got to save our airline, our airport, our industry. And so uh, all of a sudden you're sitting there and people are having the conversations that arguably perhaps should have happened more in the past. Um, and now there is better understanding. And, uh, you know, again, I don't think people want to lose this as we progress forward. And I think that what's really great is that the revenue management people are sitting there saying, okay, now I understand why my colleagues in marketing or retailing or whatever are asking me to do this. And the counterparts are saying, ah, okay, now I understand why it's not so easy or, you know, to do this or whatever it may be uh, from whether it's revenue management or another department. So I think that that's something that, that we absolutely have to preserve. And, you know, what would encourage me is we're seeing a lot of airlines interested in, uh, you know, uh, dynamic pricing, continuous pricing. Um, we're seeing a, uh, uh, an embrace of, of NDC openness to the IATA one order, a recognition. We've got to move from PNRs, PNRs to, to orders. We've got to be more retail centric. We've got to be more customer centric. True. And I think you had one good quote in the report from management consulting guru and pioneer Peter Drucker that if you want to do something new, you first need to stop doing something old. And I think some of the things, because a lot of the things that when I talked to airline people before the crisis was we are doing this for the long time, it's difficult to change. So I think this, this, this gives us opportunity because we had to stop doing the old way right. also to do, to do it the new way. And I think this curiosity and willingness to learn and change is great. And I think, uh, like you said, there will be a lot of more skilled and better skilled professionals. You know what, what, what is, is also occurring is there is more willingness to 
uh, test to take calculated intelligent risk. We as an industry are risk averse because we are so safety conscious, which is why air travel is as great as it is. Uh, we get on planes without thinking about anything going wrong. Um, uh, and that's as it should be. We have managed out along with the aircraft manufacturers and the engine uh, uh, makers so much of the things that could go wrong. That is wonderful, but that has also limited, I think, as an industry culture, our willingness to take risk on the commercial side, our willingness to take risk when it comes to retailing, to marketing and things like that. In some cases, brands are almost prisoners of, of their heritage. Uh, uh, but in other cases though, you are seeing airlines saying, you know what? We don't have to continue doing this just because it's the way we've done it. And pardon me, one thing we've also heard from airlines is that we can have the same process, but it's done in a slightly different way at almost every airport we serve or every country we operate in. So you take something like check-in or boarding or whatever, and even if there are common use terminals, there may be slight differences in, in, in things that force the airlines technology to understand, oh, this is coming from city A or airport A versus airport B versus airport C and so on. Um, on the commercial side, I think, I hope, uh, we will continue to see the openness to innovation. One thing I heard from almost everybody is, um, a, an almost surprise and delight, the airlines were more open to innovation, uh, that COVID forced them to rethink things, that as we call it, there's lowercase i innovation, smaller, less expensive, perhaps more tactical innovation. And there's still uppercase i that is more strategic, maybe more long-term, uh, could perhaps be more of a capital expense, you know, there's going to be a mix of both. No, no, you're preaching to the choir here. I I think in the past two years, I interviewed like 20 different leaders in the area of experimentation and innovation. So I think this is the right thing to do, but I agree to your mindset. And one case, one uh, I'll tell you one story. When I talked to a person who was a head of strategy at Eurowings, you know, the German mm -hmm. low-cost sure. airline, he said that... They founded the separate company, Eurowings Digital, and put all commercial things there. So not just technology. It's not like, uh, you know, like innovation or technical company. Eurowings Digital is in charge of their website, their sales, their digital marketing, their e-commerce. And he said it's because of this different mindset. He said, we want to do this fast innovation and changes, but on the other hand, airline Ops and operation doesn't work that. It's prohibited. It's like contradictive. He said, nobody wants to fly on an MVP plane, you know? Right. And it's, of course, but we work in MVPs in the commercial on the digital side. So this is, I think, the right change. And I saw the move when we did these bench benchmarks about experimentation. I saw this move even before the crisis. And I hope this will be exper uh, accelerated. And I agree with you when you say about this, lower eye innovation, more tactical. 
these are the things when people can also learn how experimentation works and how these new simple things work. And when you do it on scale, when you do a lot of tactical or eye optim- uh, innovation, I think then it's when the big ideas, when the big things pop up and you can then change, try and uh, really, I don't know, some things that, uh, that touch to the business model and some really game-changing things. Yeah, no. And, and you know, as you said, there's the minimum minimal vi- minimum viable product or MVP to, and for the Americans listening, that's not most valuable player, um, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, can work in digital. It can work in marketing. It can work in commercial aspects. Um, um, and, and in fact, we're even seeing airlines using technology in different ways on, on, uh, network planning. So one airline said that they have re uh, created a new revenue demand and forecasting model that integrates both cargo demand and passenger demand. Previously, they didn't have that. They had a cargo application. They had a passenger application. But the two weren't integrated. And they said just by combining them, it gives, it opens up new perspectives on the potential financial viability or lack of viability for a route and has helped them fine tune the routes and, and better prioritize the routes that they're going to restart uh, as, as borders reopen and which aircraft to operate on that. So there's, you know, a lot of stuff that can be done, but you're right. When it comes to safety, you know, the aircraft, you don't want an MVP, minimal viable product uh, uh, as, as the airplane. Maybe you do some testing in a lab with that. Uh, and we know that that's all iterative, uh, but we can go to market in a public way with something in a test mode. Uh, 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 with with a digital product or a digital asset or a digital experience and iterate and evolve there. And frankly, the way it's done is almost seamless to the consumer. Um, um, but, you know, I'm hearing a lot more airlines talk about, we're doing A-B testing. We never did that before. Or we had outsourced that and we, you know, we didn't have the same level of insight into it. It was more infrequent. We only did it for larger things. Uh, you know, Expedia and, and, and other digital travel companies are doing hundreds of A-B testing uh, 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 experiments every day across almost every page in their websites around the world. You know, airlines need to be just as engaged in that as a digital travel company or a digital retailer or any other digital organization. As I said, we saw when we do these benchmarks of how much experience airlines do, we saw this before that there were airlines, especially on the low cost side, that were like the trendsetters. So they, they started a lot of these uh, processes and were doing this, starting to do this at a larger scale. Unfortunately, there were always a lot of laggards, you know, a lot of laggards where there, this was not the case. And I think this crisis will maybe even widen the gap between them. Hopefully not. Hopefully everybody will catch up, but we'll see. Mm-hmm. Oh, Henry, this was a great chat. Uh, time fly. Wow. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's uh, maybe we need to do a part two because we, there are a lot of topics that we that would be my pleasure uh, that we didn't touch and yeah probably we need to catch up in uh, in a month or so and uh, or so and continue the discussion. Um, so 
thanks. Thanks for chatting. Thanks for all the insights. I'll share the link to your report with the audience. And I hope now soon, so now not uh, in so distant future, that we do these chats in, uh, in person. So that would be great. We did so many Zoom sessions in the last year, so I think uh, the the beer session needs to replace the Zoom one. Where it's yes, at. yes, definitely. I'm, you know, I can't wait to hear the uh, phrase uh, "prepare for departure" uh, again. <laughs> true, true. Yeah. Thank you, thank you, Henry. Thank okay, you. thank you all. Stay well. Bye. This podcast is supported by Pros. Are you looking to optimize revenues across revenue management, retail, and distribution? With more than 30 years of experience and a legacy in the airline industry, Pros provides AI-powered solutions that optimize selling in the digital economy. Pros customers, who are leaders in their markets, benefit from decades of data science expertise infused into our industry solutions. If you like this podcast, check out Pros Podcast, The View from 30,000 Feet, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Pros website or visit the Resource Center at pros.com to access our special COVID-19 edition webinars and blog posts.